welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101, I'm joined by Dr. David Sturgeon, a consultant psychiatrist at UCL. David has worked for students for many years, and it was fascinating for me to talk to him about the mental health of students and to ask him all about why depression and anxiety is most commonly found amongst them and what he thinks we can do to prevent this. I'd like to first of all ask you what the most common mental health conditions that students are facing. I think the most common presentations that we have here are students with anxiety and or depression. Anxiety and depression are often linked, they often go hand in hand. And 70 plus percent of the students that we see have struggled with anxiety and depression. And typically, how many people come to you seeking help each year? Well, UCL has about 42,000 students each year. And we see probably three or four percent of those students. We're a big department. We have 18 people working here, 18 therapists, one other psychiatrist, and a number of therapists as add-ons who are kind of brought into the service. And we're all pretty busy. How do you charge for that? Is that done on a sort of pro rata basis? Does the university fund that? We're part of the university. So it's all free of charge? So it's all free of charge. And is that the case at most universities or are you guys unique in in offering that? No, I think some universities do buy in services, but we have a meeting once every three months with other London universities, psychiatrists who are working there. And one or two of those units are bought in by the university that they're working for. Can you keep up with the demand? Well, we, we have to grow like Topsy. I mean, we've uh, just appointed three new therapists today. They'll hit the deck running. We have a mixture of psychodynamic therapists and cognitive behavioural therapists, roughly 50-50. And so if someone thinks, or if you deduce that someone's in need of a different form of therapy, say you think that, I don't know, EMDR might be more appropriate or exposure prevention might be more appropriate are you able with the funding of the university to refer them on to someone else or does that then take on another sphere of its own and they have to then go on to fund that privately well we have to advise the gp to refer them so we don't pay for specialist treatments so for example students who may have got obsessive compulsive disorder that needs quite a lot of therapy in order to make real differences and we don't treat that here because it just takes up so much of our therapist's time. So we have to ask the GP to refer them into local NHS services. And then they just have to join a regular NHS queue, basically. And then they join the NHS queue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because for me, as someone who suffered from acute OCD at university, and this was 12, 13 years ago, 
there wasn't that offer on help. Even if you suffer from depression or anxiety, you were lucky if you got to see a psychiatrist. It just wasn't as readily available as it obviously is at LSE now, which is really reassuring to hear. But still, I mean, it appears that it's slightly underfunded and you can't keep up entirely with the demand. No, no, we can't take on people for long-term treatment, which is what they sometimes say, because there's a tsunami of students who are wanting our help. Mm. We can only offer short-term work, six sessions by the psychodynamic or CBT. And then if they need more than that, the therapist will then refer them on, usually to low-cost schemes. You know, London is fortunate it has a number of low-cost therapy schemes which students can access, but they often have to pay something towards it. And that's tough if you are suffering from severe anxiety or depression and you're told to kind of go elsewhere. It can almost fuel the disorder in a way because it almost feels like a bit of rejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we start them off with therapy here, Yeah, with six sessions, but then we can't offer, well, rarely we can offer more than that. So it's not true to say we can't always offer more than that, but mostly we offer six sessions and then have to refer on. And why six? Do you think six is an optimum amount to offer someone? I think it's grown out of history, really, that six sessions. I think that with six sessions, you can at least make a start. By that time, you've explored whether or not that form of therapy is going to be helpful or not, whether or not you have to think about some other alternatives to whatever it is that they've had six sessions of. And then each year, are students able to come back and renew those six sessions? Or is that six sessions whilst you're a student at UCL? Or no, is- no. Every year, they can have a further six sessions. Yeah. And David, why do you think there's such a rise in numbers of students suffering from mental health conditions? I think everything's become more stressful, really. You know, a lot of these students... Well, students from abroad are paying a heck of a lot of money to come and study here. I'm thinking of students from Far East and from China, for example. They've got a kind of sort of Damocles hanging over them because their families are paying an awful lot of money for them to come here and study, you know, in one of the best universities of the world. And so they feel they have to do well. And those Students, I mean, many of those students have what we call helicopter parents, you know, who are phoning them up every day to make sure that they are working. But I think in general, there's much more job insecurity. What am I going to do when I leave university? A surprisingly large number of students don't have any idea what they're going to do when they leave university. They're doing the degree that they want, particularly in the arts, English, for example, or, or history but they really don't know what they're going to do. They can teach, and some of them do want to do that. But a lot of them really are undecided. A lot of students will also say, oh, I'm going to go into finance. I've got to be able to have a, a really good lifestyle. I've worked so hard, and I really want a very good job at the end of it. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission.
David, what do you think universities can do to help students more? So outside of the services that you offer, because I experienced a pretty low level of care, support, pastoral care before people actually get to the point of needing therapy. Do you see anything that they can do and offer that can provide help for people? Yes, I I think we actually provide a lot of support at this university. The students themselves provide a lot of support. They have a nightline that they can phone students who've had these kind of problems and have come through them. We also have a Department of Mental Health and Wellbeing, which really makes itself known to students and, you know, welcomes students to support them. One thing we used to do, which unfortunately we can't do now because of time limitations, was we used to see each department, you know, a group of people from our service, used to spend an afternoon or a morning with a department and just explain to them the kind of problems that students have and how to spot students of concern and to refer to our service or to the other appropriate services. As a, as a kind of a signposting. And, you know, the, the feedback on that was very helpful. We haven't been able to do that for the past few years, unfortunately. But this department, the Student Psychological Services and Counselling, it's quite well known and well advertised within the university. Yeah, well, that's really reassuring to hear because I think that was another problem with Edinburgh University which is where I was was that there was no signposting I mean it was really tough to even find a professor or a doctor of your subject to go and speak to let alone being referred on to psychiatric supportive services you didn't have personal tutors yeah we did but they were totally disinterested I mean I remember going to my personal tutor and explaining that I had pretty bad OCD and I just was met with a sort of blank stare yeah And that was really disconcerting, actually, and left me feeling just very alone and isolated. And I think this is a lot of the problem that students face in other universities. I think you've obviously got a very strong department, but it's not the case everywhere. And I wondered, are you doing anything yourself to try and spread the model to other universities? Well, there's somebody at this university called Peter Fonagy who is very keen to have this kind of service within UK universities and is currently setting up a scheme in order to get that up and running. And he's using senior students from the Department of Psychology to see students who are not too seriously impaired in order to support them psychologically for a time during their their period at university. It's getting up and running, but it's not quite there yet. So a lot of students also suffer in silence and there's still this stigma attached to mental health issues. And there's obviously, very sadly, a rising number of people at universities taking their own lives. So I'd like to know what you think universities can do to try and help students to open up and to admit that they're struggling to both their peers and to their professors and, and doctors who work at the universities? Well, I think the stigma is maybe getting less. I think that students are more willing to discuss mental health problems more openly. But as you say, you know, students still do take their lives, and it's tragic when that happens. 
all we can do really is to let them know that help is available and to let the student body know that help is, ava is available. The student's union here is very active in um, supporting students with mental health problems and will often refer them into our service. I mean, students can self-refer into our service and other student bodies can refer people, you know, if they're concerned about them and their tutors can refer them and their GPs can refer them. So there's lots of inroads into the service you know, which has quite a high profile. We're fortunate that it does in this university. You know, that support comes from the top. The provost or the head of the university has to be actively supporting this service. And the other thing I think which does help about this service is that it's in a, a separate building within the university campus site, but it's in a separate building. It's not as visible. Like it was in the middle of, you know, another building complex and students had to could be seen to be coming and going. That doesn't happen here. And I think that is an advantage, actually. Yeah, I think that's a huge advantage because you slightly want to be anonymous. You don't want to be the girl in the history class that's going into the psychiatric department that's obviously seeking help. Yeah, that's true. That's true. What can we do to try and encourage more universities to adopt more formal systems of support for students with mental health issues? Well, I think a lot of that impetus is coming from the student body. Students are asking for this kind of support. They're asking for this kind of help. And they're protesting if it's not there. You know, students have to leave university because they have mental health breakdowns. If they can't cope with the course, they have to interrupt their studies. But one good thing that we do here, if a student has had an interruption of studies, we see them before they rejoin the university just to make sure that it's safe for them to join the university. I think something else which, you know, is worth considering is that we sometimes see students here who are really not well enough to be at university. The university has a, a duty of care to the student, but the student also has a duty of care to the university. They have to be well enough in order to be here and to cope with that change away from often a home situation where, you know, there's parental care, to a situation where they're more or less on their own and they have to look after themselves. And if they're not well enough to do that, probably they shouldn't be here yet. They, they need to get ready, they need to get well enough in order to come to the university. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I think it's really illuminating and we're very honoured to have you as a guest. It's been a pleasure, Pandora. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Mm -hmm.